Good morning. I want to say good morning to Daystar Church up in Hartsell and Madison. And we have a growing number of people who worship with us online all around, uh, all around the world, really. Let's welcome everybody. Clap your hands real loud for all the people online right now. Love you guys. Glad you're with us. Welcome back from Easter. And um, we are in uh, this series, um, Asking for a Friend. And I, I just want to first of all say how humbled I am that you guys think I can answer these questions that you have sent in. I really feel like a super smart person that you think I, I mean, you guys did not hold back. You've got some really tough questions. And just to remind you over the next five weeks, counting today, we're going to answer as many of these questions with biblical answers as we can. So here's what you can do in your worship guide. Uh, The connect card is there. You can put your questions down on the connect card, turn them in at the end of service. Love to hear what those are. If you're joining us online, there's a place for you to click on link, turn on the, uh, turn in the, uh, the uh, online connect card and ask any question that you can. We're going to try to get to as many of these as we possibly can in this series. And maybe we just do some Facebook live uh, and YouTube stuff that just answers some of these questions as well. One question that I really loved that somebody asked, you kind of teed up what I wanted to say anyways. Someone asked us, how can, how can I get involved with Daystar? Hey, I love that question because um, when, you, when you just look at people who go to church, uh, there, there's been a lot of uh, people talk about how people who go to church and people who don't go to church live essentially the same lives. They, they kind of have the same values. They are just the same as likely to lie or cheat or, 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 you know, whatever issues. But when you dig a little bit deeper and you find people who are fully engaged in the church, you see a completely different lifestyle. You know, people who come every week, people who uh, give and serve and people go to small groups. You just get connected with people who really challenge you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And so I really hope hope that you'll all ask that question. How can I get more involved? And the answer is next steps. Everybody say those two words with me, next steps. That's something we have at every campus after every service it only takes 20 minutes. You go out in the lobby and there's a spot in every, at, at every location uh, for you to go through next steps it happens right after the service. Um, and it just, it, it is a great way for you to know how to be involved, whether you've been coming here for a really long time and you just haven't really gotten involved, you need next steps. And if this is your first Sunday, you need next steps. So it's for everyone. It won't take you very long. There's some snacks. There's child care. And if you can't do it this Sunday, we'll have it next Sunday because we have it every Sunday after every service at every campus. So I hope you'll do that. Now, the questions you guys have been asking, I want to show you just a few of them. We're going to try to get to as many of these as we can over the next few weeks. But you've been asking questions about depression and suicidal thoughts, is that a sign that I have a doubt in God? Or if I trusted and believed in God more, would I have less depression? That's a good question. I hope we'll get to that. Lots of questions about prayer. What, what keeps my prayers from being answered? Or how can I grow closer to God? Questions about has the Bible changed? I've heard online that the Bible is not trustworthy and that there was political reasons that man changed the Bible. We'll try to get to that one. Questions about women's role in the church and in leadership. Um, questions about divorce, about alcohol. Uh, and then, you know, my favorite, uh, one person asked, how can I convert Alabama fans to Auburn fans? <laughs> good question. Good question. Uh, you're going to have to hire Nick Saban. I'll just go ahead and cover that one today. It's going to be tough, but if you'll do that, it'll probably work out for you. Uh, today we're asking a question that a lot of people have been asking, and that is, what does the Bible say about LGBT? Uh, lesbians, gays, bisexual, and transgendered individuals. That's really the question that all of our culture is, is wrestling with right now. 
And, and I want to tell you that uh, I think I owe it to you. I think pastors owe it to their congregation. See, I don't want to be a celebrity preacher. I want to be your pastor. Okay. I want to be your shepherd. And I want you to be sheep who say, you know, Jesus said we're, we're, we're sheep of his pasture and we want to be his sheep. I'm a sheep and, and we're, we're all his sheep. And so I want us to uh, have a relationship where you expect your pastor to talk about issues that are important in your life. Now, a lot of these questions that you guys have asked are tough. They're very difficult questions. And there's a reason why you ask those questions, because they're hard to answer. They're controversial. And I, I was thinking about it, you know, like, um, I feel like we have a great relationship. You all act like you love me. I mean, I, I think you do. If you, you smile at me a lot, and I definitely love y'all. Like, nobody else would uh, put up with me like you do. And we could just keep just having a good church, and you know, just do normal, easy church services uh, and, and get along and there'd be no worry about controversy. But I feel like that God's word speaks to right where we are, right where the question is, right where the, the problems are in our life. And I don't want to do this surface level of Christianity. I want to dig right into the truth and go all the way down to where it is. I think that's right for us. Can I get an amen to that? Like, so I, that's what I want to do. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to make a commitment right now that whatever I say that you don't like, you're just going to love me anyways. Okay. And I want you to love me like you loved me, but when you thought, I thought like you think. Did you get that? I think the Lord gave me that phrase right there because I didn't even write that down. Love me like you love me when you thought, I thought like you think. Okay. All right. So we're going to cover a lot of issues. And this one today, I want you to know I approach with fear and trembling. Uh, Philippians uh, 2 and 12 talks about uh, coming to the Lord with fear and trembling. And I, I hope you understand that I don't mean fear of God. I don't have, I, I, I don't, I don't mean fear of man. I don't have any fear of man. I don't have any fear of being canceled or y'all running me out of town. I don't have any fear of that, but I do have a fear of God. Because every lesbian, every gay person, every transgender or bisexual person, every straight person was all created in the image of God for a purpose of God. And so the Bible says that if you are offensive to one of God's children, it's better for you to have a giant stone with a rope tied around your neck and cast into the depths of the ocean. I don't want to be that person. And yet at the same time, I realized that the Bible is offensive. It's called the sword of the spirit. That's an offensive weapon. And the Bible itself says that it's offensive. First Peter 2 and 7 says that God's word is a stumbling block to those who disobey it, and it's offensive. First Corinthians 1 says the Bible is foolishness to those who are perishing. So today, I, I know that the Bible will be offensive, it's offensive to me, y'all. I mean, some Sundays I go home like, man, we had great church today. 18 people told me I did good. <laughs> I'd be lying if I told you that didn't matter. It feels good. And then I pick it up on Monday and I'm like, man, I'm doing good in Jesus. And boom, there's a verse that pops me right in the eye. It, it hits me. It's offensive to me too. The Bible is an offensive thing. And so, you know what? There's, there's going to be times where when you look at the Bible, it's going to be offensive to you. So what I think today, I've thought a lot and prayed about this uh, message today. I think there's three groups of people hearing me today. There are traditional Christians. There are LGBT persons. And there are troublemakers. Those are the three groups that are here today, okay? Uh, traditional Christians who say, I want to know what the Bible says about this. I want to know how to love people who have different sexual thoughts or, or situations than I do. What, what, how, how should I handle that? Uh, LGBTQ persons who love Jesus and want to understand better and want, want, to, want to be set free. And then there's just troublemakers who you don't have any reason to be here except to try to catch me saying something wrong. I know that that group is always around when you get controversial. There's that group that's going, I knew that church, they watered down that gospel. I'm going to be there. I'm going to hear what that preacher said and tell y'all about it. That guy's there. 
Um, and then there's that guy that's looking for one little 30-second soundbite that I didn't say just right that he can use to try to cancel our church. I went ahead and put my tie on for you today in case I'm on CNN. <laughs> First tie I've worn in five years. Right? Just wanted to be ready for it this time, you know. I wasn't ready last time. So if you're here for that soundbite, you might get it. I don't know, but I want to tell you, we've already gotten word in times past that the Freedom From Religion Foundation is monitoring our services and threatening a lawsuit. Uh, We want to welcome you if that's what you're doing. Daystar, can you welcome all the troublemakers here today? We're glad you're here with us. Thank you so much. I want to start with what the Bible says about this. Because right in your Bible, probably on page one or two, the first book of the Bible, God defines uh, all of creation into two categories, Genesis 2 and 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is is the Bible's view of marriage, of relationships, and sexuality. You'll find that all through the Bible. Now, there are some people that say, well, this is just of Adam and Eve. God's speaking only of Adam and Eve. This is just after God brings them together, and he's talking only of Adam and Eve, and there can be other people who get married that are not of this uh, same two genders. Uh, but, but the truth of the matter is, this, this is a, a man, a man, not Adam, and he leaves his father and mother. Adam didn't have a father and mother. He was created of the dust of the earth. And, and this was a model. God was laying down a model for all people that this is God's plan. Now, some people will say, well, if that's true, then when you turn to the New Testament, why is Jesus not saying these kind of things? Why don't, why don't you find Jesus talking about homosexuality? Well, if you look at what Jesus taught on, Jesus was, was largely speaking to religious people, Jewish religious people, and he was talking about controversial issues uh, with the Jews, things like forgiveness and loving your neighbor. He didn't talk about things that were sort of settled. He didn't talk about prostitution, didn't talk about uh, murder. He didn't talk about theft or slavery, right? He, he talked about issues that were controversial, and, and, and on this issue, it just was not controversial in Jesus' day. It was, it was clearly considered not to be God's plan. And in fact, Jesus quotes from this same verse in Matthew 19 and 4. He says, haven't you read and he's talking about Genesis 2, that at the beginning, the creator made them, say it with me, male and female. That's all he made. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So the Bible never really moves away from that. We're just going to start with what the Bible says. And I want to get to what Jesus would say to Christian, traditional Christians, and what Jesus would say to uh, LGBTQ persons, but the Bible never gets off of this issue. Even when you go on in the New Testament, it gets a little more clear in Romans 1 and 26. It says, because of this, because of a lifestyle of, of sin, you, I, I encourage you to go back and read the whole thing. But because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. So this is is where the Bible takes, and there's really no debate among theologians on this. Now, there's always going to be people who say what they want to say. Some people say, well, you know, the Bible changed its opinion on on slavery and on on the role of women. And so it'll change its opinion here, but actually the Bible never changed its opinion on any of that. Uh, the church has been wrong on those issues uh, in, in many cases. It still is in some places. But everywhere uh, slavery, for instance, has been abolished, the church of Jesus Christ has been at the front of that everywhere. It's been abolished. Uh, and, and today, there's more slavery going on in the world than there ever has been before human trafficking. And the church, this church, 
is fighting it, and churches around the world has always fought that. And, and, and think about this, too, about the role of women. You go to a country right now where women are not allowed to be in, in leadership. They're not allowed to uh, dress as they want to. You'll find that the church of Jesus Christ is oppressed there. And everywhere in the world that the church of Jesus Christ is free, women are free. Women are leading. Women are presidents of companies and countries. Because the Bible has been clear on those issues as it is on this issue today. I was reading one gay theologian, uh, some of his writing about it, and, and he said, quote, in many cases, the text, meaning the Bible, doesn't actually mean what it says. Okay, um, and, and that's really where you have to go. To, 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 to say, and this is not all I want to talk about today, but just to tell you what the Bible says on this issue, to say that the Bible is affirming to LGBTQ, um, you have to say that the Bible doesn't mean what it says. And, and that's how you have to go. But I'll just tell you, I've spent a lot of time with some lovely gay people who love Jesus. And, and they've never really had an argument about what the Bible says. Most people understand what the Bible says, uh, but, but what we have to do is figure out how do I live that out? And here's the issue every Christian here has to get, uh, uh, to, to come in tune with. And that's Jesus' words in Luke 9 and 23. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever, come on, everybody say, whoever. Everybody say, all. I love, this is all of us, okay? This is every straight person, every gay person, everybody. Whoever wants to be Jesus' disciple must do what? Say it, church. Deny you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Do it every day and follow Jesus. Now, I, I was looking at that verse this week and I said, man, I should have preached on this verse on Easter because Jesus said, take up your cross. I mean, he said this before he went to the cross. Now, 2000 years later, we know what he means when he says, take up his cross. But back in those days, they would have said, what do you mean take up your cross? What, what does that even mean? That's a, that's a torture tool of the, of the Romans. I, why, why would he talk about the cross? Now we know clearly what he meant. He was saying, because I gave up everything to make a way for you to come to heaven, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to do the same thing. You, I took up my cross and I carried up Golgotha's Hill and I died for you. You know what? If you're going to be my disciple, I don't care who you are, straight, gay, whatever, you're going to have to take up your cross. You're going to have to deny yourself every day. That's what I have to do. I have to deny myself. There are some things that are so innate, in, uh, it seems like inbred into me that I have to overcome. Like I'm a really, really good arguer. Man, you can tell me your opinion. I can argue you out of it and convince you to mine. Then I can turn around and argue your opinion and bring you back to where you started. <laughs> My mother used to say when I was five years old, that boy is going to be a lawyer. <laughs> he could argue with her. My dad said, son, when you turn 16, you're going to argue with a road sign and take the wrong way home. I'm just good at it, man. I, and, and I can, in a second, I can become argumentative and defensive and judgmental. And you know what I have to do? I have to daily deny myself because the Bible says that these arguments are vain and profit nothing. They're vain words. And I have to realize that, that, that arguing over things that don't, and by the way, just a, just a little free information. We won't charge you any extra for this. Tithe is still 10%. Okay. Here's free information on top of that. If you're arguing on Facebook, you're not doing any good for anybody. You're not advancing the gospel. You're not, uh, you're not blessing the, the country. The Bible said it. it's vain, it's, it's profitless, and it's useless. And I'm standing up here as, as a person who I like to argue on Facebook. I call it explaining to you why you're wrong. Not really arguing, you know. And I've had to learn to get away from that, and I have to daily deny myself. Every Christian is born into a fallen world. 
And there are going to be temptations that are so natural and normal and, and feel inbred in us. We have to make up our mind. I want to follow Jesus more than I want to follow myself. And I'll have to deny myself. So this is essentially, that's what the Bible, I'm putting this message in three thirds. First third is this, what does the Bible say? That's what the Bible says about it. Now, what would, what would Jesus today say to traditional Christians? Did you know that 83% of LGBT persons grew up in church? That was a shock to me when I read that, a shock. About today, about 22% of America will be in church. 83% of LGBT persons grew up in church. What that tells me is that there's an outsized number uh, of people who grew up in church. And for whatever reason, something about the way we do church didn't embrace them and draw them to the cross. Because 51% of those left the church by the age of 18. And you might say to yourself, well, of course they did because they didn't want to uphold the scriptures. No, only 3% of those left because of theological differences. I'm talking about these are people who love Jesus. These are people who want to be a part of the family of God. They want to feel embraced by the people of God. And they've been told that they have leprosy. They've been told they don't look like, see, y'all thought, y'all thought I was going to go get them folks today. Go get them preacher. And you're them. So here's, I've already predetermined that y'all wouldn't give me a whole lot of amens. And so I've been, I've piped my own amens in there. You can't hear them, but they're going in my head right now. When I say something, God, I just say amen to myself. All right, that's where I'm at. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. I'm doing that too myself. Okay. You don't have to say amen. You just, but y'all already said you're going to love me no matter what, right? Come on, everybody repeat after me. I sure do love our little preacher. There you go. I felt like, felt like she really meant that on the front row right there. I'm going to take that. All right. So we've got to realize our role to play in this. So here's what Jesus would say to Christians, conservative, traditional Christians. You need to start with love and acceptance because that's what he always did. When he found people that were marginalized or considered to be, you know, cast out, he loved them first. Let's take, for instance, Zacchaeus. Very famous story, Zacchaeus, tax collector. In his days, that meant he was a, uh, he was a liar and a thief, and he was highly immoral. And, and Jesus walked through the town, and he called him by name. Do you remember? And he said, Zacchaeus, come down, come to me. I'm going to your house. I'm going to hang out in your house. In the first century, to spend time in a person's house was to say you accept that person. We don't see anything where Jesus is going like, Zacchaeus, you better straighten up, and I'd love to go to your house, but you got to stop this lying. you got to stop this stuff. We don't see any of that, and yet after Jesus spends time at Zacchaeus' house, you see a public repentance and a change of his ways because Jesus starts with love and acceptance. Take, for instance, the, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and about to be stoned to death. Jesus stepped in front of her killers, saved her life, risked his own life, and only after loving and accepting her, then did he say, go and sin no more. He starts with love and acceptance. Let's think about the scandalous moment where a prostitute came into a room and washed Jesus' feet. And what was scandalous to people as she dried his hair, uh, dried his, uh, his feet with her hair. And they were saying, the religious people were saying, he doesn't know who she is. If he knew what we know about her, he wouldn't be doing that. And Jesus said, you know what? Not only did I know her, do I know her, I know you too. You've been forgiven of little, so you love little. She's been forgiven of much, so she loves much. And Jesus immortalized her that day. He said, wherever the gospel is preached, this woman's story will always be told. 
So you know what we need to do? We need to start right where Jesus starts and start loving people. The truth is, guys, in fact, you can just help me right now. Everybody who, when you sin, needs somebody to tell you you've sinned, raise your hand if you need me to follow you around and go, that was wrong. See, you don't need that. And nobody else does either. What they need is to be loved. What they need to know is that you matter to God and you matter to me. Did you know you can love a person without loving what the person does? Do you know you can accept a person without accepting their choices? You, you know, so, so that's where we start. Start with love and acceptance. And if you like that first one, this is going to really kick you in the teeth. Get the beam out of your own eye before you dig the speck out of theirs. This is Jesus. I just love Jesus. <laughs> this is exactly what he said. In, 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 um, in, in Matthew 7, 5. Jesus told that story. He, he was talking to religious people and he said, you know, basically he said, you're, you're digging sawdust out of my eye and you've got a two by four in your own eye. Honestly, traditional Christians and, and traditional churches need to take a look at their own house. When you're saying to a, a, a gay person, you can't play the piano because you're gay and you've got a straight drummer who's sleeping around. You need to clean your own house before you start telling somebody else how to clean their own house. I want to just say that our drummers don't sleep around. They're godly people. <laughs> just an illustration, okay? They're really, I pointed to our drums, and I was like, I didn't want to do that. They're really good people, okay? But we got to be consistent, and we don't need to add things that the Bible doesn't say. If you're going to be a real man, you got to be into hunting and football and fishing and tough. It's not in the Bible. Real girls, real women, they like to fix their hair up and they get all prettied up and they don't do sports and they don't be tomboy. That's not in the Bible. I wonder if we're not pushing people away from the family of God because they don't fit our cultural, not biblical, but they don't fit our cultural expectation of what they're supposed to be. The truth of the matter is I've got more work to do on myself than I can work on right now. I can't really straighten everybody else out. My job is to proclaim the truth and love people. And then I got to work on myself. I don't have time to straighten everybody else out. I want to love those people. So here's the third thing. Treat people with kindness. Because kindness is what leads to repentance. Amen. Kindness. You know, we, we want people to, to, to know the truth. Absolutely. We want people to be set free. We want people to come to repentance. But the truth of the matter is they get there through kindness. Look at what the Bible says about that in Romans 2 and 4. God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. It's not angry preaching. It's not judgmental looks. It's not, you know, uh, passive aggressive text messages about how you ought to straighten your life. It's kindness. Did you know I, I learned this uh, last month or so as I was studying? 11 scientific studies show that between 60 to 90% of people who initially have gender confusion or, or questions about their gender, 60 to 90% of them grow out of it uh, by the time they're teenagers. What, what I'm trying to tell you is it's, it's a confusing time. Another uh, gender psychologist says the majority of people who come to him uh, with gender dysphoria or ideas about their uh, confusion about their gender, uh, eventually we come to realize it was pressure of culture on them, causing them to make that decision. See, we're living in a world that is, is, is being attacked. Man, the devil's using religion to attack, using sexuality, using confusion, gender issues, identity, all these things to attack. And the solution is not more rhetoric and arguments. The solution is love. Treat people with kindness. This is what God would say to traditional Christians. Now, let me talk to you what I think Jesus would say to LGBTQ persons. I know the first thing he'd say, same, same thing he says to me is, is that he loves you. 
He loves you so much, he went to the cross for you. He died on the cross for you. You mattered so much to him that he died to reach you. And when he sees you, all he thinks about is love. Now, there's something you need to know about that love. And if you're taking notes, it's written down. Follow along with me. Love is not a destination, but it has a destination. I want you to let that sink in just for a minute. I want to explain that. It's not a destination to itself. Love, love, love. We just love everybody. That's all that matters. We just love. No, there's more to it than that. See, this idea that the world has right now is you just let people find their own truth. Let them, let them uh, just, just be who they are and don't judge people and don't tell people how to live their life. All you need is love. But if I come on your house, you know, I drive by, you've been working on the roof, chimney or whatever, uh, and, and uh, the ladder fell out from under your feet and you're hanging from the gutters on the second story. And I stop my car and I go, man, I, I can see you're in a rough spot. I just want you to know I love you. <laughs> You're going to say, I appreciate that, but what I need right now is that ladder. Yeah, I need the ladder. And the truth of the matter is your sin and my sin, all sin is a pit. And I need you to love and accept me, but I want you to lower the ladder into the pit so I can climb out. And that ladder is the truth of God. And see, the destination is not just that I love you, the, the love of God has a destination. And here it is, John 8 and 32, when you know the what, church? The truth, the truth will do what? Set you free. That's the destination. Freedom, that God makes us free to find who we're called to be and fully fulfill his plan for our lives. When you know the truth, the truth sets you free. My job, your job as a Christian, is not simply to comfort someone in the prison of their sin, but your job is to break them out. To go into that room with the truth of God's word and the love of God and, and have freedom to, to, to be the, the product of it. And, and this little phrase, I was praying, and Lord, I've been praying about this series. So many people have been praying for me. Thank you for that. And, and this is the phrase I think really captures what I want to say. Is that, that grace without truth is powerless and truth without grace is useless. Think about that for a minute. Grace without truth, loving people, loving, loving, loving people, accepting, accepting it and not giving them any truth while it's powerless. Why is that? Because nobody's going to be set free. Nobody's going to be delivered from uh, addictions or, 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 or sin. And then truth without grace is useless. I'm just going to tell them the truth. We're just going to put it on them. I, I remember vaguely as a child seeing a street preacher preach at people. And he was probably preaching a lot of truth, but he was so angry and so rough and so uh, uncaring Nobody received it. See, the, the, the reason I want grace and truth and the reason that this church was built on community transformation through the love and power of Jesus is because you have to have both. That's why, uh, unlike many other places I've been, everybody is truly welcome. It's not just a slogan here for us. I don't care if you're gay or straight. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what people think about you, how you dress, how much money you have and who you voted for. You're welcome in this place because whatever is wrong about you is something bigger that's right about God and available for you in his presence. And our church is here to transform our community. 
Not to peacefully coexist with it, not just to love and accept it, but to transform it through the love and the power. Because when you first love people, when grace first shows up, then the truth, the power of God shows up to transform us. But if all we have is grace and no truth, it's powerless. And if all we have is truth, angry, red-faced, and judgmental, and we don't have any grace, why, that's useless. What we have to do is be what Jesus was. John chapter 1 said when Jesus came, he came in the spirit of grace and truth. And if you're one of those that says, I don't know why you're soft soaping it up there, preacher, you ought to just tell them like it is. Well, you don't know Jesus because Jesus came in grace and truth. And on the other hand, if you say, well, you're just one of those old timey, old fashioned preachers. You just want to tell people how to live their life. Who are you to tell me how to find my truth? Well, you don't know Jesus either because Jesus came with grace and truth. He came with both. It's a difficult thing to do, to provide both grace and truth, but that's what we're called to do. Let me tell you this second thing God would say. Pop culture Christianity will love the world to death. We're going to love you, love you, love you, accept everything that you do, and that's going to lead to nothing but death because here's what the Bible says. Watch this. For the wages, the earnings, the paycheck for sin is what? Say this with me. Everybody repeat after me. The paycheck for my sin is death. That's a fact, y'all. If I keep in my sin, it's going to be lead to relational death, spiritual death, and physical death. But the gift of God is eternal life, and it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look who Christ Jesus said he is. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way to get to the Father. There's no salvation. There's no heaven except through Jesus. He's the truth, y'all. Look, look right here. The truth. The truth. This is the truth. John 1 says that the word of God has become flesh and dwelt among us. Did you know that you can't reject this and embrace Jesus at the same time? It's not possible. I can't walk up to my wife and say, with this arm, I want to embrace you. And with this arm, I want to push you away. That won't work. I've got to pick one or the other. And if you are rejecting the word of God, you're rejecting Jesus. Because Jesus is the word. There's no other way to get there. So I want everybody to hear this. Gay, lesbian, straight, whoever you are, watch this. Your sin is your issue, but it's not your identity. Oh, I hope you'll, I hope you'll hear that. You say, well, I've got anger problems and I, I, I've ruined my relationships, but it's just who I am. It's not who you are. You can put it under the blood and you can be set free of it. You say, well, you know, I lie and I, and I steal, but it's because I'm a drug addict and that's the only way to support my habit. And, and that's who I am. My dad was a drug addict. My granddad was a drug addict. That's just who I am. No, that's your issue, but it's not your identity. Let me tell you something. I have issues. I have a load of issues. I have sin issues, but I refuse to let them be my identity. I refuse to peacefully coexist and say, this is who I am. I can't change anything about me. I don't believe that. Sin wants to define you. I hope you hear my heart of love. I love you too much to tell you that your sin is the definition of who you are. I know too many people. I've been, in, I've been doing this a long time. My whole adult life started preaching when I was a teenager. I promise you, you can tell me anything you're dealing with. I can probably tell you the name of a person I know who's been set free from it. I'm just convinced. I'm sorry. I'm convinced. I know what the word says. I know what I've seen with my own life. I know who I trust in. I'm just convinced he can set everybody free. He can.